Please stand with me for the reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which to work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And not not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Freedom. It's a word we use quite a lot in our modern world. It comes up every day in what we read, in what we hear on the news, what we talk about at work and at home. Some of our heaviest burdens and our greatest villains are those that are said to threaten our freedom. COVID regulations restricted our freedom to meet with others, to use public spaces, to socialize the way we normally do, to make decisions about our own sickness and health. Russians who are speaking out against the war in Ukraine are increasingly finding their freedom to criticize the government restricted. Society itself is built around laws which tell us which actions we are free to take and which will result in the loss of our freedom. If you want to get people to care about your cause, you find a way to talk about it in terms of freedom. We want to free the world of disease, free people from cycles of poverty, free the oppressed from the power structures that keep them down, free elephants from the threat of poaching, free people experiencing depression from the prison of their own despair. We want to be free, whatever that means. And the struggle for freedom never seems to end. In this story, Jesus heals a woman who's been bent over and unable to straighten herself for 18 years. Luke describes it as a disabling spirit. Jesus tells her that she is freed from her disability and talks about how right and good it is to loose bonds like this one on the Sabbath day and compares his work to untying livestock so they can eat and drink freely. 
at first read, it's an easy story to skip. It's one of three Sabbath healing stories in Luke's gospel alone. And as healings go, it's not unusual or overly showy or impressive. But chapter 13 of the book of Luke lies at the structural center of Luke's gospel. And this story, particularly the parables at the end, lie at the center of chapter 13. And there is something critical here about how Jesus operates, how his kingdom functions in the world. It reflects the passage from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus read in another synagogue to describe his own mission in the world. It reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One of the questions that this story confronts us with is this. When is the time of salvation? When is it time for us to expect, to search for, to proclaim freedom from the things that oppress us? I mentioned that this is one of three Sabbath healing stories in Luke's gospel. In all of them, someone has a problem with Jesus performing healing on the Sabbath. God has declared the Sabbath holy, and no work is to be done. Through this day of rest, the community acknowledges the right of God to regulate their lives through his law. They proclaim the sovereignty of God over his creation, his unchallenged rule over what he has made. They express the community's trust in God to provide and care for them, knowing that six days are sufficient to work for their needs. The Sabbath is not itself a regulation of oppression. It's an expression of freedom. Freedom from the fear of scarcity. Freedom from faithlessness. Freedom from doubting God's care and provision for his people. Sabbath is freedom from the grinding, unceasing, exhausting pattern of toil that dominates human life. And it's not unreasonable for people to count healing as a violation of Sabbath rest. Whether it is classified as medicinal work or as mystical wonderworking or some other kind of caretaking, Jesus is performing a job, providing a service. On the one day of the week, such things are not to be done. What is striking almost comical about this story is that the leader of the synagogue does not confront Jesus about his actions. He doesn't seem to have the guts to call out the visiting rabbi. Instead, he invokes his limited authority and rebukes his congregation instead. There are six days on which you can come and be healed. Don't come on the Sabbath day. It is as if it was the woman's fault that she suffered and that her suffering was noticeable seven out of seven days of the week. Sure, Jesus did the actual healing, but she should not have even been visible there that day. 
Her suffering should not have caught the rabbi's attention. And even though it hampered every moment, every bow, every step that she took, there is a strong gender bias and a strong victim bias in this scene, which I think many people can relate to. But Jesus does notice her. And Jesus decides that the Sabbath is exactly the right day to grant her freedom of movement. There could not be a better time. And he argues from a lesser example to a greater one, using livestock to make his point. It is permissible on the Sabbath for people to untie their animals so that they may eat and drink. It is permissible to liberate your sheep, your oxen, your donkey, so that they may live. It would be oppressive to say, this should wait until tomorrow. The animals are hungry and thirsty now. They look to you to set them free now. You can't even keep a five-kilo dog in your apartment and every Saturday say, I know you need a walk for you to use the bathroom, but you'll just have to wait until tomorrow. How much more important is this woman than a pet or a sheep? For Jesus, the time to make his kingdom of freedom known, the time to combat oppression, the time to work against the forces of human bondage is always right now. Always. The other question that this story confronts us with is where to look for God's salvation. Where can we expect to see God's kingdom of light making real inroads into our darkness? Where does freedom start? And where can we find some for ourselves? Soon we will be coming into Holy Week. And during Holy Week, we turn our gaze towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the main stage where every big event happens. The triumphal entry, the purging of the temple, the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the resurrection. It all happens in Jerusalem and all in the span of about a week. Our gaze is geographically directed at this pivotal city and the role it plays in the history of our salvation. In Jesus' day, Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish nation, the center of Jewish politics, the center of Jewish religion and identity. Luke chapter 13 begins and ends with people talking about oppression and freedom and the focus is on Jerusalem. At the beginning of this chapter, some people asked Jesus for his thoughts on Galileans who are worshiping in the temple. We cannot say with confidence what happened, but somehow they ended up killed by the Roman governor, Pilate. And it was said that their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. Probably the way they worshiped was construed as anti-imperial in some way, and they suffered for it. This is about Jewish freedom to worship without fear, freedom to critique the empire, freedom to express independence and nationalism under the shadow of Rome. He also discusses what is probably a construction accident. A tower in Siloam fell on a group of 18 people and they died. A terrible tragedy, also in Jerusalem. 
Jesus uses these events to discuss suffering, repentance, and judgment. And the fate of those living in Jerusalem is the focal point. At the end of the chapter, Jesus looks towards his own upcoming journey to Jerusalem. He talks about his love for Jerusalem, his longing for the city's repentance, his self-assurance that he will meet the same fate as the prophets before him when he makes a public stand there. For Jesus, there is no other place in the world where the dramatic confrontation between the fallenness of humanity and the redemptive mercy of God could play out. There is no other city that could host the passion narrative that he knows is coming. It has to be Jerusalem, the center of the world. But between these discussions of violence and peace, freedom and liberation on the main stage, there is Jesus preaching and healing in a completely unremarkable rural village. The central story of the central chapter of the Gospel of Luke is not a story of governors and high priests, revolutions and armies, midnight show trials and public executions. The central story of the central chapter of Luke is about Jesus preaching to a small, minimally educated group of folks and an old woman who suffers from a form of everyday oppression, something completely normal in her old age. This is where the action is at for Jesus. He uses two parables to emphasize that the kingdom of God will not be established on earth with light shows and celebrities. The banner will not be carried forward by politicians, influencers, aristocrats, and high-stakes rollers. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is almost too small to see, but which, if you plant, will take over your garden. You may not even notice mustard taking root, but if you nurture it, you had better be sure you want it there. You may never be able to get rid of it. It is like yeast, which a woman worked into three measures of flour. That's yeasted flour now, and there's no two ways about it. You may not even be able to tell when you look at it, but you'll find out as soon as you try to use it that there's something alive in there. If you were hoping to use that flour to make bread for the Passover, tough luck. It is being changed at the microscopic level. The kingdom of God's freedom has been planted, mixed into the world, and the whole world is alive with it, even if you cannot see it. For Jesus, the place to make his kingdom of freedom known, the place to combat oppression and work against the forces of human bondage is always right here. Always. There are a lot of characters present in Luke chapter 13. Galilean worshipers, a Roman governor, the leader of the synagogue, the disciples, people in the crowd with questions, all kinds of people. And questions, questions, questions. They've all got questions about freedom and oppression, suffering and salvation. Only one person in this chapter glorifies God. 
a little old lady who used to be hunched over and now can straighten herself. She is the only person who sees the kingdom of freedom that Jesus is bringing, recognizes it, and gives thanks for it. And that's enough. It's enough for Jesus to look at his earthly ministry and say, this is the year of the Lord's favor. In the last few weeks, I've spoken to a lot of people who are finding it harder and harder to look at the world and have any hope for it. The world was supposed to start going back to some kind of normal this year. With the worst of the pandemic behind us, we are supposed to see borders opening back up, global supply chains steadying, leaders capable of focusing on chronic problems like climate change, disputes and divisions fading into the humdrum of summer concerts and in-person classroom time. It was supposed to be a year of freedom. Instead, we're signing permission slips for our children to be treated at Barnhaga for radiation fallout in the case of a nuclear disaster. <laughs> Bracing for global food and energy shortages and wondering whether dictatorial governments are going to be a new normal in the world by the time our favorite pair of shoes wears out. If you are looking for the kingdom of God's freedom to come by scrolling through headlines or logging into Twitter in 2022, I am sorry to say this might not be the time or place. The only good news I have to offer you is that the kingdom of God has almost never been found there. It has never been something out there on the great stage of the world. It has never been just one more news cycle or press conference or peace talk away. The kingdom of God has only ever been found right here, right now. It is in the praise of an old woman whose movement was bound up by an oppressive spirit who is now free to stand. It is as small as a mustard seed, as tiny as a speck of yeast. You may look right at it and miss it, but it will grow. It is always growing. From the time that woman praised God in her synagogue in Galilee until today, it has not stopped growing. It will not stop in 2022 either. May we have eyes to see it, ears to hear it, and hearts to understand it today. Please pray with me. Lord, Make us instruments of your peace and freedom. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you 
that you may know that he is gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you into the reality of your lives, in the days of joy and in the days of sorrow. May he be your peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world and serve each other and serve the Lord joyfully.